So have you ever had a time in your life when you didn't have access to a mirror? I can remember a time when our family went camping and we'd been away for two weeks and it was bush camping. There was no flush toilets, no showers and definitely no mirrors. And we all thought we looked fine until we stopped on the way home at McDonald's and suddenly we came face to face with a mirror. And I remember thinking, you're kidding. (laughs) Have I been in public looking like this? I can't actually imagine life without mirrors. We have them in our bedrooms, in our bathrooms, in our cars, and lots of women even carry one in their handbag. A study that I was reading this week said that women on average look at themselves in a mirror once every 30 minutes whilst they're awake. So why are we so obsessed with looking in the mirror? And I don't think it's just a female thing. I didn't read the male study, but I'm sure it's more like 15 minutes for men, 30 for women. We're obsessed with looking in the mirror because we're concerned that we look okay, aren't we? We want to check that our hair is okay and that our lipstick isn't smudged if we've got lipstick on or that we haven't got a bit of broccoli in our teeth. But mirrors are only effective if we use them as a tool. If we look and we go, oh, broccoli, and then we just walk off, the mirror's not much use, is it? So we're in the midst of a series in the book of James and we're almost to the end of chapter one. And you'll remember if you've been here that James is writing to Christians who lived in the first century, in the very early years of the church. And it's been amazing so far how similar the issues that these people were facing are to the ones that we face today. As the writer of Ecclesiastes said, there is nothing new under the sun. These early Christians struggled with temptation, with anger and with their attitude to the poor, just like we do. And tonight we're going to see another area where these people struggled just like we do. They were constantly getting broccoli in their teeth. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke, supposed to laugh. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No, they weren't constantly getting broccoli in their teeth. Their struggle was this, and it's one that we all face. These people knew a lot about the Bible. Many of them had been practicing Jews who had become Christians. They knew their Bible, but their knowledge didn't change the way that they lived. They didn't let God's word change them, their words, their decisions, their priorities. So I'm going to read from James chapter 1. If you've got your Bible with you, you can read along with me. If not, just listen. We're starting at chapter 22, at verse 22, chapter 1. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. 
For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So James is saying to these early Christians, if you claim to be a Christian but you don't let God's word change you and your life isn't any different, then you're kidding yourself and you're actually missing out on all of the blessing that God has for you. And like so much of James, this isn't just a first century issue. I was reading a survey this week by a guy named George Barner. Now, this guy's a, a Christian sociologist and he's done heaps of research into different aspects of the church. And his research is American, but much of it you can apply into our context. And this research was concerning the difference between Christians and non-Christians. So what he, do, what he did was he compared people who profess to be Christian and attend church regularly to those who, if you ask them, would say, no, I'm not a Christian. And I found his results a little bit dis disturbing and, and quite surprising. He found that there was very little difference between the two groups, between Christians and non-Christians. And he looked at a whole lot of things. He looked at attitudes on issues where you would think that there would be differences between Christians and non-Christians. Things like same-sex marriage, sex before marriage, abortion, the classical type issues. He also looked at a whole lot of practical things like health and drinking and smoking and divorce. And what his research showed that on the whole, Christians are not that different to non-Christians. Peter says in his letter in 1 Peter 2.11 that we are to live as strangers and aliens in this world. We should stand out in this world like an alien would. But the truth is that that's often not the case, is it? James says that we should be different and that if we claim to be Christians but we're no different, then we're actually kidding ourselves. So the main place where God teaches us how to live godly, different lives is in his word, isn't it? But James says that when, it's, when it comes to God's word, many of us are like someone who just glances in a mirror and then keeps walking. They take a quick glance once in a while and then they get on with their lives. And then even if they do read it, 
They don't let it change them in any way. So that the result is that they're really no different to their mates at school or their neighbours who aren't Christians. James says that when we live like that, we're kidding ourselves and we're missing out on all the blessing that God has for us. I don't know about you, but I find that that's true in my life all too often. I can go for days without reading God's word. Or I read it quickly. I'm just going through the motions to get my reading done and then I've ticked it off for the day. Or I read something in God's word or I listen to a sermon or I'm part of a Bible study and I'm really impacted by it. But before long, it's forgotten. It's got swallowed up by the rest of life. Does that happen to you? The distractions of the day, work, uni, school, friends, what's on TV, what you're doing this week, they push what God's been saying to you to the back of your mind. And before long, it's forgotten. Well, James says, be careful. Because we can kid ourselves that our relationship with God is okay. That we're okay, but we're not. That's the problem with coming to church each week, with hearing God's word preached week after week after week, with having your Bible on your bedside table, with going to a Christian school. Whilst all of those things are good, there is a danger. And the danger is that you start to take the word of God and your relationship with him for granted. And you believe that everything's okay. I'm good, I'm a Christian, I go to school, I, I go to a Christian school, I go to church pretty much every week, I even read my Bible occasionally. Well, James says, beware. And John is stronger in Revelation 3.16 where he records the words of God to the church in Laodicea, people who no doubt thought that they were doing okay. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. James gives us some examples of this lukewarm kind of life in verses 26 and 27. He says, people who claim to be Christians but don't have any control over their words. People who claim to be Christians but don't care about the poor. People who claim to be Christians and live lives that are no different to the lives of people who are not Christians. James says, you're having yourself on. The fruit of your life is the evidence and you're not okay. So let's have a look now, a closer look at verse 25 where James contrasts that kind of life to a life that is authentic and obedient, a Christian life that pleases God. I'll read it for you again. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and if you do what it says 
and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So the first thing that's significant in that verse is the way that James describes how we should come to God's word. He says we need to look carefully. So this is not a quick glance every now and then. The Greek word means to actually stop and to look carefully. And it's the word that was used in John 20 to describe the way that John and Mary looked into the empty tomb after the resurrection. Now, you can imagine on that day when they went to the tomb, there is no way that they would have given the tomb a casual glance, is there? They would have gone in, they would have looked around, they would have made sure they checked every dark corner, they would have thought about what it was that they were seeing. And that's how we need to go to God's Word. We need to spend time with it. We need to look deeply. We need to meditate on it. We need to study it and ask, what does this mean for me? What did this mean for the original hearers? What's God saying to me out of this? And you can't do that in two minutes, can you? It takes time. This book, the Bible, is God, your creator, speaking to you. So don't just glance at it and then walk out. The second thing that's significant in this verse is the way that James describes the word of God. He describes it as the perfect law that sets you free. So the original hearers of this letter, they would have understood the law to mean God's word. And Jewish people knew God's word. They knew the law. Most young Jewish boys learned to recite the first five books of the Old Testament from memory. And their whole way of life was based around keeping the rules of the law to the very letter. But James knew that his fellow Jews were very good at keeping the law. And they knew their Bibles very well, but often their hearts were very far from God. Jesus challenged the Jews many times about this. Matthew 15 verse 8 is just one example where Jesus says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. James is saying, God's word is so much more than the law as you know it. It's so much more than rules. It sets you free. It changes you if you'll let it. We have to look carefully at God's word. We have to spend time with it, knowing that it's so much more than just rules. It actually brings us life and freedom. But even all of that is meaningless unless we hear the final things that James has to say. Firstly, he says we have to remember God's word. James isn't talking about a quick fix. Okay, God, I need an answer for this problem. Open up the Bible, close it up, put it down to be opened up at the next crisis. James is describing a life that is fully immersed in God's word with its truth 
constantly remembered and applied to our lives over our whole lifetime. I love the way David describes this kind of life in Psalm 1. He says his delight is in the law of the Lord and on this law he meditates day and night. Do you delight in God's word? Do you meditate on it day and night? And I'm challenging myself with these words as well. Does it fill your mind and your heart? James says we have to remember God's word always. And finally he says we have to obey it. We have to do what it says. Does God's word change you? Does it change your thoughts, your decisions, your words, your plans, your actions, the way you play sport, the way you do your tax return, the way you act with your girlfriend when no one else is looking, the way you spend your money, what you choose to watch on TV? Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword that it cuts to the heart. God's word is so much more than a book of stories or a collection of good moral teaching or a history of God's people, even though it is all those things. God's word has the power to change us if we'll allow it to. James's letter to the early church and God's word to us tonight is pretty clear. God's word should fill our lives. It should fill our hearts, our minds, and it should change us. It should make us different. It should make us more like Jesus. I'm going to pray in a minute, but before I do that, I want to just give you a couple of minutes to spend some quiet time with God. So let's just bow our heads. I want you to ask yourself as your eyes are closed, is God's word something that I just glance at? Like a quick glance in the mirror? Or is it my delight? Do I need to spend more time in God's word? Do I need to go deeper into his word? Do I need to allow it to change my life? Have I been kidding myself that I'm okay when the reality is that the fruit of my life says that I'm not okay, that I'm not all that different? Am I living with the amazing, abundant blessing that is available for all of God's children? Or have I settled for just going through the motions? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word. 
And we're sorry for the way that it sits unopened so often. Or for the way that we just glance at it quickly and then we move on to the rest of our lives. Lives that aren't all that different from our friends or our neighbours or our workmates. Lord, help us to be people who delight in your word, who meditate on it day and night. And may your word change us to make us people who honour you and please you, people who are more and more like Jesus every day. Amen.